Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, we've been talking about better viewer experiences on TV and streaming services with lower ad loads for years. Now, Foxtel Media is making a big move. Finally, someone... Watchability is the overarching theme coming to market next year from Foxtel Media and not before time. While the debate on the trade-off between lower ad loads for the viewer and higher pricing structures to the advertiser has stalled any real progress for years, Foxtel Media's CEO Mark Frayne argues there is a new catalyst for change. Marketers are seeing the need for a better viewer experience with ad loads because, well, they're actually seeing the change in consumer viewing expectations as consumers themselves. And now it's not only SVOD streaming services shaking up and improving the viewing experience, some AVOD players, that is advertising supported video on demand alternatives, are matching these new user experience thresholds with a better advertising experience. So what could, what should new world ad loads and the viewer experience look like? Is watchability something that will stick? On the mics today for a dive into the possibilities and probabilities is Foxtel Media's Mark Frayne, Razorfish CEO Jason Tonelli and Tyler Fitch, the US-based Senior Vice President for Advanced TV and Partnerships as one of the biggest AVOD services in the US, Tubi. Welcome, gents. This should be interesting. It's been something that sort of has been on my agenda for some time. Mark Frayne, to you first. You made a bit of noise at your upfronts for 2023 around watchability. Um, Maybe give us the big picture, really, on the problem you're solving for and whether it's going to really land on the advertiser and media buyer side. It's long overdue, isn't it? But that sometimes doesn't mean it will fly. Um, Welcome, Mark Frayne. Your big picture thoughts on this. Yeah, great to be here, Paul. Yeah, I think it's it's something that's kind of crept up on us in the last kind of 12, 18 months. Um, Foxhill Media has spoke a lot about ad loads in the future, but I think since the announcement around Netflix, um, Disney Plus and others now moving to ad-supported tiers, there's just been a, a bit of petrol poured on that kind of burning fire around ad loads moving forward. When Netflix first came to town, it it set the tone for what a great user experience should be. And I think that that gave a a great benchmark for us all to follow and and certainly to deliver on. And now we're getting into the same world with with that experience. And some of the leading players, fortunate to have the guys from Tubi on with us today, have started to set that benchmark at four or five minutes of ads an hour and starting to prove it out with research of just how significant that benefit is for advertisers moving forward. So I think we're we're starting to see it kind of globally uh, of the new players in town setting the benchmarks of ad loads and, and as we turned it, what that will mean for watchability moving forward. You have been trialling a bit, Mark, right? You've done some second ads and, and some trials here and there. What have you been doing? Last maybe 12 months you've been doing a bit on that, maybe 18 months? Yeah, so we've, we've certainly tested, firstly, on, on the linear side. We've always ran six, seven minutes of ads an hour versus a traditional network of 13, 14. But that as a message with advertisers never truly cut through like it is now. Um, so we've certainly been testing on the linear side, smaller ad breaks, six-second ads. And there's no question the underlying outcome and results of all of those kind of services 
uh, and reports that we've done are a different ad break, a better structured ad break, and certainly less ads overall per hour has a much bigger impact on engagement and attention. Um, so they're all leading to the, the same set of results. So what does good look like, Mark, um, next year and, well, in the next two years, really? What does good look like from your perspective in terms of ad loads, your, your minutage per hour you mentioned, ad numbers, ad pods, minutes per hour, and, of course, all that hairy subject of frequency capping, which um, gets quite a bit of uh, discussion in the market, doesn't it? There, there is quite a bit of discussion. As you kind of called out from the start, our customers, whether they be CMOs or whether they be agency executives or agency buyers, are that they're seeing it front and centre themselves at home on their smart TVs or whatever devices they're watching. They're, they're seeing the difference between a great viewing experience and a great advertising experience. But back to your kind of core point, um, we'll launch advertising on the binge platform next year. We've certainly looked at some of the, the global benchmarks of where we go, uh, and we've set the, the limit of four minutes of ads an hour on binge. But the, the critical point being that on the frequency side, it will be one ad per user per hour. Uh, and that's the thing right. that I, I think we're talking about watchability and obviously the, the extreme to that is unwatchable kind of platforms. And I think advertisers have called those out in the last 12 months of the year when they've seen their own ads repeated three or four times either in the same break or within the same 15 minutes, the same 30 minutes. So they're all seeing that experience. So that's where we'll sit, four minutes of ads an hour, um, but critically on the, the frequency cap, keeping that very tight for both the user and the advertiser. And so is there a structure to that, Mark, in terms of you say four minutes an hour on binge? Will it be before the movies, through the movies, through the shows, whatever you're doing? I get it with KO, right, where you sort of talk about not having ads in the game, but around the game, um, that makes sense. But how does it work for binge? Yeah, I mean, it will be, I mean, number one, as an example of movies, we won't interrupt movies. They're pretty much sacrosanct, similar to what we're doing on, on live sport. But there will be a maximum of kind of two pre-rolls. And then going into mid-rolls, it will literally be two to three ads per pod. And that's it. Got it. Well, let's go to the US for a second. Um, Tyler, welcome um, from way over there. The US is the sort of essentially, you know, in my view anyways, is kind of the king of packing ads into programming. I think you do about 300 minutes per an hour of, of ads um, in some places, maybe cable, I think you talk about. But um, sometimes, you know, realistically, 18 minutes an hour. Where is Tubi at on this front? And what's the broad sense on advertising experiences uh, in the US and what's going on more broadly? And, and welcome, Tyler. Oh, thanks for having me. And well, I'd like to say, I mean, Tubi's been in the business for, for over nine years. And currently we're four to six minutes an hour and we didn't get there just by throwing something against the wall. We, we tested this and we have to know that there is a trade-off for free content and ads and, and there is a relationship there. And so Tubi is a free product and not having somebody pay us a, a monthly subscription or feel like they're obligated to use us, we had to have the right user experience. And on the flip side, we had to prove ourselves to advertisers. And so we have this trade-off of having ads, but also we see this uplift in performance where we had to get people buying linear and broadcast and moving that over to digital. So there is both sides that, are, that see the benefit here in, in terms of ad loads and, and how we do it. But we continue to work on this every day and, and test different formats and, and timing and all these different things to create the best user experience while maximizing revenue, which is what we're all here for. 
And so part of the ad load for Tube, anyway, part of the ad load sort of rules there is also you're doing a bit of personalization as well on this, Tyler. Is that right? Just give us a sense on how that works. Is that more in the programming or is it also in the advertising? We can do either. I mean, digital video has these signals and including context that, that we can work with advertisers to, to target. So there is a, the personalization aspect of, of digital video that we're allowed to to use, as well as contextual signals allowing them to buy like they bought traditional TV. And, and, and we are continually working with brands and advertisers to create products that make them feel comfortable moving to connected television and giving them feedback on how they're performing. The receptivity, you mentioned advertisers, the receptivity to all this from the advertising market buyers and brands. How has that gone? Has it been much of an education process? Has it been resistance? Has it just been, you know, apathy? Well, we, we've come a long way. I've, I've spent a lot of time six years ago in the back of an agency in like a coat closet. So it's right. definitely come to terms with the growth and, and with the pandemic and everything, realizing the shift of viewership and how people are consuming content and and working with brands to to have that message and in the states i've created the advanced tv team to have that message and work on that message with the different brands and different agencies to to speak the same language and make sure that we're all on the same page and to make sure that that they get what they need from tubi the broader market very quickly the broader market and in and around this um is there a sort of widespread understanding and move to this tile or is it still nascent it's i mean it's it amazes me every year um we've had a very successful upfront this year in 2020 we were acquired by fox which has been a great help for our team and and creating one place to buy fox sports and and all the other fox entertainment properties as well as tubi and and we see that just in australia with foxtel too having these partnerships and knowing that these are incremental users that that they're able to buy in one place and making it easy for brands to to buy and measure across everything has been really important and and how we've grown so well in market and we've seen this in the states where the large media companies are going out with their own free services on top of their premium sports premium news entertainment and packing that all together and managing things like frequency, managing just all the buys and having fluidity across that, making it easy for brands to spend dollars in a, in a world that's always changing. It's, it's been really helpful. And, and we're seeing that across the board on how free advertising is positioned with somebody like Foxtel or Fox. Yeah, I mean, on, on, that, on that, PMAC, I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, just before... Fox acquired Tubi. We were in conversation with Tubi probably six six months before that deal went across. And the reason why we wanted to work with Tubi was to get the first mover advantage on learnings on what Avod meant for the future, even prior to the Fox announcement. So right. that was the that was just around the time that we'd done about twelve months working on the Ko platform. So getting in early was a massive reason why we wanted to work with Tubi right. down here in Australia. Right, which you are, by the way. You announced that, what, two years ago, the, the Foxtel Media and, and Tubi, right? You're doing Tubi here. Sorry, Tyler, you were about to say something. I said Franny was doing it before it was cool. Right. <laughs> so he's pre-cool. Yes. Got it. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Jason Tonelli, um, what's your hunch on all this and where it will land? Um, well, is there a demand on the viewer side? And what should versus what will eventuate in this market, do you think? Where do you sit with all this? Yeah, thanks, Mike, and thanks for having me here today. Look, 
It's a really good question when you start to think about a couple of things we've already spoken about. Firstly, we talk about watchability. And when we start to think about that and you think about the user experience, you start to see how users now in new AVOD or ad-funded models will start to select big channels, be it a KO versus a binge versus a Netflix, and they're going to come in and out based on programming. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch, I think, over the next 12 to 18 months. If I'm a footy fan, but I'm not into the cricket, am I going to hold a subscription for six months or am I going to move to Netflix and watch The Crown for three weeks? And then I'm going to flip out. So that's going to be very interesting how people manage their subscription base, especially in an ad-funded model where you probably can add one or two more subscriptions to your portfolio because of the price differentiation. So that's quite interesting. And the reason why I go there is it becomes very incumbent on ad loads. So if we rewind, I'm going to go back in time here, so forgive me, everyone, but if we go back 10 years ago, the big problem we had in digital advertising was the ability to help people frequency cap not just on channel, so not just on a KO or a Netflix, but how do I think about the entire screen ecosystem? I think that's the big opportunity here. When you start to think about what do I do around frequency capping and ad loading when it comes to multi-vendor slash multi-platform watching, because if I'm switching between one and the other, i.e. live, into something that I want to watch, what's the ad load look like there? I think that'll be the next frontier, and I am probably now future focusing a little bit, but I think as we start to think about the solution today and ad loads, I think it'll be minimal. I think four to five minutes feels about the right number. And then as I start to think about in three years' time, we're going to have the frequency conversation. It'll probably be sooner. And the frequency conversation, though, will be how do I think about frequency across these streaming services? Yeah, and a quick question there. If you can frequency cap on some platforms and not others, will you as a buyer and with your advertisers preference the platforms where you can frequency cap properly and rigorously? Well, I think the thing is we've got to think about the user experience. And I think all of the individual streaming services will frequency cap well. That, that I haven't had a conversation with anyone who's looking at this model that's saying we're not going to frequency cap, like Franey said, to one an hour, one a show or something. So you're not going to get what we had several years ago in digital where you'd have the same ad running twice in a, in a pre-roll and then again at the mid-roll. You're not going to get this kind of – Only twice, Jason. Well, you know – if you're only running two ads. Six, uh, try six. <laughs> but, and, and the digital industry's kind of done a lot of the hard yakka around fixing that problem. I think that AVOD, SVOD's got the opportunity now to look at that and take that on board and that's what's going to happen. Um, I feel like four minutes feels about the right time for people to get the content they want. Uh, mid-rolls will be the sticking point, I believe, I think. Pre-roll, I can deal with. Mid-roll, oh, right in the middle of something. So it's going to be quite interesting how you look at that on a show-by-show perspective. So mid-rolls will be, like I said, I think they'll be the user sticking point, the user experience sticking point. But then what will happen is as we become bigger on streaming and as that continues to grow and multiply, how do we now think about that across subscription services will be the next frontier that advertisers and agencies are going to be thinking about. Let me jump to Tyler on that mid-roll point. Um, do you think it's an issue, Tyler, uh, for the viewer? And well, does it, is there another trade-off going on there? And do you do mid-rolls? I mean, we do do mid-rolls, but we also put in a lot of work to not have whatever you want to call it, back-to-backs or, or frequency issues there. So there are a lot of other things involved. It's a very hard thing to do. And I think to that point, some some 
other folks have struggled with it and managing that frequency. But Tubi does all their own transcoding. They use things like machine vision to make sure and, and brand recognition that we can use to make sure we don't show up in a pod, but also use things like competitive separation, all these other aspects that advertisers are asking for or got with linear that we're able to now produce in digital. So that back-to-back -back scenario or, or over-frequencing is, is such a bad issue and, and puts such a bad taste in the user's mouth that, that we are also cognizant about it and we're not there to, to squeeze out some more dollars. We're there to have them come back and watch more content. Jason, what is different this time? Do you think that this move to a better viewing experience with ad loads is it different this time? Will the will the market at large, not just you, but will the market at large accept and, and move this way this time? Is it different or is it more of the same? Lots of rhetoric, but action's a little different. It's hard to see because we haven't really seen, like done it yet. So it's hard to make that call, Paul. But what I will say is that we've got more learnings this time than last time. Right? We've got a lot of digital experience now and a lot of the players just coming in to see do, who are doing the work like Tubi are actually from digital backgrounds, right? So they've got a beautiful mix of linear and digital because the problems are actually coming from both ecosystems. We talk about frequency capping, well, that's a digital problem and a linear problem. You look at ad loads, that's more of a linear problem than a digital problem. So you're starting to see that it's a hybrid solution and I think both markets have matured now enough where you're going to get a better experience. I also think, and Tyler just made the point, it's not just about the revenue dollar, it's about the user experience. And if we were all here around the dollar, then I think it will go the way it did last time, which is no one's going to buy it. This time I feel like everyone's about, because there's so much competition, people will jump. If you give me a shit experience, I'm out of here. So hmm. the user experience feels like it's the number one thing. All the streaming services talk about key things like what it costs to acquire somebody, how much revenue do they contribute to my business, and what's my churn rate. You know, retention and churn's big when you talk a subscription sub service. So it feels like this time the focus is in, is in the right way. Hmm. It's on the user experience. It's not on the ad experience. The ad experience just kind of molds into what the user wants. Yeah, so more competitive tension might actually shift the market uh, this time. Mark, you, you think there's a difference this time too, right? Because marketers are getting this as a consumer. You sort of talked about it, you alluded to it earlier, but just talk through that point. You think this is there? there is a sort of line in the sand here? Yeah, I, there, I mean, all of us in the trade, we're in, talk to clients day in, day out. I, I've never had as many conversations with clients in the last six months that have spoken quite openly about the platforms they watch as a consumer and the platforms that they've seen their brands within. I mean, there was a, obviously a couple of high-profile CMOs at the Future of TV conference earlier this year from um, Optus and um, Uber that spoke about the experience that they were kind of seeing. So I think, yeah, you're, you're right. Marketeers as consumers are seeing the difference. And I will say, as we've kind of on the back of the upfronts and taken binge to market as a platform, I period. I, I've never seen interest from both clients and agencies to be on board this platform. So Jason mentioned earlier there's there's more evidence, there's more research that it's the right thing to do. Judging by the demand we've seen for binge and the growth we've seen in Tubi over the last 12 months, it's going to be a bit of a runaway train. Jason, is it on your client's radar? Yes, it is. It's a conversation we're having all the time. 
What are they asking? So they're asking for detail around some early adopters are like, when we can, can we start? And that's what Franey's referring to there. Like, let's get going and let's trial stuff. That's fantastic. Who are they? Oh, I can't give you ad- advertisers, mate. I'll be giving you away competitive I, advantage. You know what? I thought you'd say that. <laughs> but what I can tell you is they're the early adopters. The, the, the vast majority are asking a lot of questions. They're doing a lot of presentations around this is what the marketplace looks like. This is what we think is best practice around ad loads. This is what we think around your frequency capping. This is how you've got to think about. But also, when you start to think about the environment, You've got to start to think about the content, the, the and ad content we're going to put in front of them. Because if it's all about user experience, you can't just keep putting a 15-second retail message constantly on the same platform. You've got to think about the platform and fit for purpose for what you're trying to achieve as a marketer. So they're the big conversations. It's about, you asked the question earlier of Tyler around personalization. Is that starting to get there? The answer is yes. And so in Australia, we're starting to think about those big questions before we trial. So they, they're, the, they're the conversations we're having. So lots of advertiser momentum around this for sure. Yeah, really interesting. Tyler, more broadly, um, you know, I find this fascinating. Ad-supported streaming services are booming when SVOD's subscription was supposed to kill all that advertising shit, right? It was supposed to go away and we're just going to have this amazing experience without ads. I think more than a few great prophets of doom have met with eggs on that one. But how about a snapshot on, on viewer numbers, behavior, and what's happening with AVOD sort of in the US and even internationally? Because it is back on the rise, right? And when it wasn't supposed to by some. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been supposed going down by any means. It keeps on growing and growing. I think the move to a hybrid model of SVOD and AVOD has been endearing to say the least as the SVODs kind of scoffed at us when we told them that we were going to come out with the free service and we weren't right uh we were just going to license content and and it's grown so much and now we're competing we're coming out with our own content we're going to be hosting the world cup here for the first time ever free in the states uh this month and so just the growth that we've been able to put behind avod and the revenue models and just being really scrappy and how we're looking at revenue per content and how we've been been able to measure that with advertising has really put given us an advantage on where we should invest on what we're looking at in terms of users and and what we identify with from a, a company and so seeing these folks coming in like we we're only going to be able or svod and now they're coming with an ad product it's endearing. It's a lot of work and there's a lot of hard work, like you've said around the just the infrastructure to, to not allow double spotting and things like that. So it'll be really mm-hmm. interesting to see the next six months to a year and how that shakes out. But I think free is, is always well positioned in, in terms of growth and just that fueling of users and advertising. And we talk about it, this, this cycle of getting more users, getting more money from from advertisers with, with Foxtel and then reinvesting that in the content and then getting more users because of the content gets better. And it, it feeds itself. And as, if we have a partner like Foxtel to make sure that that revenue portion keeps growing, uh, the more the more we invest in content and the more users we get. And so it, it's it's a great cycle. We've really leaned into it and we've had this playbook and and not only the US, but internationally, to, to your point around international, it all works. And we're just continuing to invest in these markets and seeing the growth there and and knowing that free TV and movies is going to be there for people and, and we have the, the playbook to go out and do it in every every market. 
How many users in the US, Tyler, for Tubi? We're over 50 million worldwide now. So worldwide, uh, right? Yes. And so the growth has been substantial. Uh, growing worldwide, we just launched in Latin America. We've, we're two and a half years in to Australia and seeing great growth there. So it's really just leaning into that playbook of getting the largest library possible, digging into search and other ways for people to surface content that they're looking to, and then using that library to to personalize it to make sure that it feels like it's made for them with the biggest library. And that's really how we've grown and how we create this passionate fan base of watching stuff because they they feel like it's made for them despite having 45,000 titles. It's it's definitely interesting or amazing to see what we've been able to do over the the past six or seven years on, on just how we can recommend content and make it like that social media experience that makes it feel for you, but with movies and TV. Yeah. So just really quickly, you talk a lot about the content. You talk about 45,000 titles. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, my perception has been that a lot of AVOD services and, and Tubi as well as back catalogue, but I, it's not all back catalogue now, right? You talk about the World Cup. There's more to this content lineup than that, but it's still a big driver is, is old stuff that people still want. But that's the thing. You talk about back catalogue, but it's, it's things that people are passionate about. It's nostalgia. It's things that may not be, we're not going to make a Game of Thrones binge can can have that, but like we are going to have- Binge can take that risk, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'll leave that up to Franny. And so, but there are movies that we go in and we feel really passionate about, whether it's a rockumentary or that you have that connection with the music or nostalgic films or all these different things that we're able to, and then you get into different cultures and things like that, that really feel- like it's a part of you and that you feel passionate about. So you can, we don't, we have those movies, but we also have the big blockbusters now too, that we're able to, to invest in those budgets. And, and so it's all about the whole part of about feeling personalized, but also feel like the, the content is good. Convergence is everywhere, isn't it? Mark, um, where is Australia at with you? Because, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, two years ago, I think you launched, I think Tyler said 50 or 60 million users globally. Um, how's Australia tracking on the AVOD front with this, and with Tubi particularly? Yeah, I mean, I said, Tubi a couple of years ago, pretty much from a stand-up start, we've kind of been growing double digits for the last kind of couple of years. I think the looking at the last quarter, I think we, revenue-wise, we we're up at 100% plus, and that's on the back of their user base being up 100% plus. So it's it's gaining significant momentum. And to to point of where is Australia on that path, I mean, Tubi was pretty much the earliest. And then you look at the announcements in the last six, 12 months, Netflix kind of launching, launch, depending where you are in the world. Disney Plus launched sometime early next year with an ad-supported model. Binge will probably be the second platform up with an ad-supported tier next year. Paramount announcing um, elements of Pluto TV making their way onto 10 Play. Now, there's four or five massive announcements that have happened mm. in the last six months. So to your, we've been behind, but I mentioned the phrase before, runaway train. It's going to be a significant shift there in the next 12, 18 months, like significant. We're not talking about a, a handful of dollars. I think we're talking tens of hundreds of millions that could shift there pretty quickly. Jason, your assessment on that, um, you concur or what happens? I think the interest is definitely there, like I said earlier, Paul. I said 
I think the point I made earlier on, and Franny just reiterated it, reiterated it for us, which was you've got multiple stakeholders and multiple announcements and multiple players chasing the eyeballs, right, which is fantastic. I want to make a point on content shortly too. What that will cause is as we start to think about measurement of the channel, how do we think about frequency as people move from a Disney to a Netflix to a binge to a KO? That's going to be the big one because, like I said, this was a – and Franny knows this because he and I kind of were, were scratching our heads around how do you solve this frequency problem in video in online video 10, 12 years ago? It's going to be the same question that asks because frequency and memory structures and how brands grow and all the things we talk about in the marketing science of advertising exists. It's real and it drives business outcomes. If you're driving multiple frequency because of how eyeballs are shifting, then that's going to be a cost deficiency. We need to think about how we solve for that. I think that's a great opportunity from a product perspective. I'm excited about thinking about that product. As you can tell, I've already started to think about that quite significantly. The other thing on content, if I may, Paul, quickly, is what you're starting to see with nostalgia and back catalog is actually moments of time. Watch what happens around Christmas now where I can watch – things like National Lampoons, right? And you just think about the moments you grew up as a kid. This is why back catalogue's not back catalogue. It's moments of time that you remember things, right, that you pull on these content and streaming services to be there for you to actually kind of fulfil that nostalgic need. I think that's super interesting. I think what um, you'll see out of streaming this year will be a lot of those lifts. Halloween had it. You're going to get it around Christmas. You're going to get this type of momentum now around occasions where families and people come together around the big screen in your living room. I think when you talk about back catalog and nostalgia, like Tubi is not marketing heavily these titles. People are going out and searching for them. Yeah, they're going out to find National Lampoon. I go and watch Christmas Vacation, everything. That's my my Christmas. And then Tubi has been building on these temple events. So when people want to watch a a horror film or thriller for, for Halloween, like we have Tubi on tear or tear on Tubi, sorry, for them to go watch. So when you talk about back catalog, people are finding this because they want to watch it and they they are actively mm. engaging with it. Yeah, old is new, is old, is new, is everything. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but it sounded good as it came out. <laughs> Mark, Jason talked cool. about measurement. Uh, what about new measurement and metrics and, and all this? It, it does throw up some really interesting challenges to incumbent currencies and the way we've done stuff. So where do you see all this landing in terms of measurement? Where are you talking and thinking? Yeah, it's fascinating space. And we, we need another couple of hours to start talking about measurement and yes. currencies. But what I will say, in the last six months, as a business, we've done more work on engagement, attention, to do with ad load and, and, and watchability and, and general levels of effectiveness than we ever have in six months. So, and that's because it's easier and faster to do with streaming platforms than it ever has been. But I think uh, Amplified Intelligence, Nature, Agile, Beat Grid, uh, done kind of six months of work, which historically might've taken us four or five years. So just the right. speed to bring those measurement stories, those case studies to market, those evidence-based results that agencies and advertisers want to see before they invest large sums of money with you, you can do it quickly now. So the biggest thing that I've seen in this space is you need those partners to move really quickly and you want to 
almost a, a war chest of research partners to allow you to do that. And I said, I've, I've been blown away by what we've been able to do under the Fox Test banner in the last six months. More, more data measurement work than ever before. Some of your services are in market and you're writing ad revenues against it. Are you putting audience against that from, say, like an Oztam and a TV currency? Where does that sit? Do you, what happens to Oztam and TV and the, the establishment currencies like that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're continuing to work with um, Oztam. I mean, as an example, right now, um, over the last 12 months, we've been working to build KO um, into the Oztam platform to be measured under the um, VPM framework to ultimately end up um, in Voz at a later date. But what I will but say... But you've been selling KO already, though, haven't yeah, you? You've already been yeah, selling KO without it. 100%. So it hasn't stopped us commercialising KO kind of at all. I mean, and I think this is a point, and I'll be really interested to hear Jason's views on it now. There is a, a growing acceptance of advertisers and agencies to look at alternatives because they're fast. I. The, the, the notion of that classic phrase of marking your own homework, I think if it's ultimately measured by a third party, verified, et cetera, then I think there's a different conversation to have with agencies and advertisers than we've seen before. Jason, well, I mean, Mark suggested I ask you this question, so I just might. He has been writing uh, revenues against KO without, say, Oztam, for instance. Does the currencies matter? Does television, do the television ratings matter for some of these new AVOD services? Will you ultimately, is this what's been bought so far is, is experimentation and test or is it locked in and, and it's understood that that's the audience and we're happy with that particular measurement that's not the incumbent currency? So it's a good point. I think there'll be a lot of test and learn, right? And that will come with leniency on the measurement in terms of is it in Oztam, et cetera, et cetera. However, there's going to be – that's early adoption, right, when you're the first 16%, right? But when you start to think about the next 32 and the next 32 when you think about adoption curves, no, we're going to have to be super robust around measurement and those frameworks. Now, is it in Oztam or not? That's a debate we have to have, and that is another two or three-hour discussion, so happy to be back. But In, in two words, though, yes or no, you could go there. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Yeah. I like using my hands. Let me let me give you the narrative, he says. Yeah, that's right. However, I do work in an ad agency. So um, we do, but to the point, measurement's going to be important. How we think about what that measurement currency looks like and is it a different one for Avon and S5? I mean, I'm interested in to hear what Tyler and the US have been doing too. When you start to look at that, it could be a different currency. Some of the digital currencies have been playing in that kind of hybrid space already. I think there's a big role for Oztam to play. I think that they've got the background technology to do that. They've worked well with a number of the digital vendors to start to think about this holistically. Where's Voz sitting this? Like I said, in Australia, there's a number of questions to be asked. But again, I'm interested in what's happening in the US tour in this one. Well, let's pass the parcel back to you, Tyler. It looks like um, Jason's sort of just waiting (laughs) uh, waiting a little while to give a definitive answer on that. So what is happening? So for instance, with Tubi, you know, there's ratings in the US and TV ratings and so forth. What metrics are the, is the market using to buy Tubi, for instance, and, and broader AVOD services? I think, that, as Franny said before, this we're coming out with a playbook of different options to use depending on how you want to buy. And this is the fun part about going in with each client is different measurement makes sense for different people. We have linear buyers are going to want to buy on the Nielsen currency. And then we, I mean... 
Tubi in general, just on the incremental reach and incrementality over linear is just absolutely killing it. But we can also work with clients like we say Uber or measuring driver signups or measuring people taking rides or seeing who was exposed to that ad and and how does that match to their data and how can they measure the effectiveness there. But that's the point earlier about ad loads and and quality. That's That's why we're seeing dollars move over is that we are having people measure us in a new way on these new platforms and we're seeing performance and therefore the dollars are, are starting to come our way. So there are so many different options out there. They're growing, they're changing all the time. There's talks about different currencies. Uh, there's different measurement providers and we're continuing to build on that and working with the brands and agencies to to measure how they how they can. To, to Franny's point, like it's very easy though. There's not a lot of heavy lifting like it was back in the day to, to measure. Yeah, and I think that's there's a big differentiation between an industry currency and prove to me that it works and kind of historically proving your platform works better than another one. It's like I'll get back to you in about six or nine months when I've done the work. Yeah. Now it's like I'll get back to you tomorrow and I'll prove to you that lower ad loads and a better customer experience all add up to better results for you. And clients can see that the speed that you can respond on, do you work? Uh, that's the game changer at the moment. So there will always be uh, a role for industry currencies to Jason's point in the digital landscape from years ago. How do you manage kind of frequency across all these digital publishers? There'll have to be a soul for that. But that does not stop these new able players growing exponentially because they can prove it themselves to advertisers overnight. And to that point, I think, you know, you were talking uh, earlier, Mark, about some of the initiatives you've done in trials, at least data matching with advertisers, for instance, this this sort of stuff where it's their own customer base, where you're talking to the customer base on another platform and, and so forth. You're doing a bit of that, right? Yeah, we're doing a bit of that. And that's not easy work because not every mm. advertiser has got their data in order, enabled to get those hooks in the data to do data matches. So for the right advertiser, it's a quick expedient process and the results are outstanding. But that's not right for everyone because not everyone has got great data in the right order, in the right format that allows you to do that. But it is an opportunity that moving forward, we've got to make sure on our side, same with Tyler, same with Jason, because we've got to be able to industrialize that moment moving forward. Got it. Do you think the market is quietly preparing for some fast and fluid shifts in budget allocation next year to, to these various emerging services? I think we've had a little bit of talk in the market and maybe you suspect that media agencies are holding back a bigger slab of video budgets for next year to play in a market more real time. Is there something in that, do you think? A hundred percent. I mean, we spoke about it in the last 40 minutes. That hasn't been a year where Tubi, Netflix, Disney Plus, Binge, I mentioned aspects of Pluto TV, are all going to launch some significant plays into AVOD next year. If you as a client or an agency group wasn't kind of or weren't reserving funds to test on those platforms, you probably wouldn't be doing your job. And how far you dip your toes in is a kind of question to how brave you are. But there's no question there is money, whether it's in reserved or whether it's kind of put in an innovation bucket, but it is it is there to kind of jump into those platforms. As I said, quite openly, I've never seen demand like it for a new ad product in launching binge ad tier. And everyone you speak to 
the same applies to Netflix. So the interest and demand so is So that there. float that we talk about, Mark, that float we talk about, is it 50, 60, 80, 100 million bucks? It's bigger than what you think it's been in the market for a few years. How much do you think is sitting there in reserve? I think it's a few hundred million dollars. Jason, what's in, can you show us your wallet? What's in your back pocket? What are you holding back? <laughs> My wallets are changing, so I don't know, mate. But um, in terms of um, what's going on with advertisers, Mark's yeah. point, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Mark's point is spot on, which is, yes, there are funds that are being looked at on how what should we test? What's a test budget look like for when um, AVOD launches properly? Again, what's the measurement look like on that? But that's a lesser question too. How do we test and learn this? How do we learn from this? To Mark's point earlier, the audience segmentation is different. It's not 25-54. It's micro passions. We're thinking about the platforms different. A lot of that conversation is happening with clients in planning right now, which is how do we think about audiences on big screens different and how much budget do we allocate to test that across the different platforms that have launched and are about to launch? Maybe just um, let's wrap this up with um, a key takeout or watch out for 2023 from all of you. Tyler, we'll go the international perspective first. If there's anything that this market should be thinking about for next year, what should it be from your perspective? Yeah, just being there last month, I, I had a great, I mean, some really great conversations with the whole Co's and and was able to do a roadshow there. And I, I really think we will see that alignment of those platforms coming out, the broadcasters with their AVOD services coming out and selling in one place, managing frequency, locking up upfront dollars and, and letting them spend those dollars as well as just making it easy for people to spend on the incremental users they're bringing from AVOD um, to the table. So we've seen that here and it's been a very successful model. And I expect Australia to follow suit when we come out with Binge and Foxtel and Tubi and being able to work with those holding companies and really locking up those dollars, but allowing that measurement and frequency management and everything we're talking about in one place and making advertisers, one, feel comfortable placing their dollars, but also making it easy for them to spend. Got it. Jason, um, you could have watch out for next year or take out for 2023? Take out for me is um, think about the platform seriously. Think about how you can think about those audiences differently and test them. Think about what real-time measurement you can get from those platforms individually and start to consider how you think about stitching these things together long-term. Very quickly on that, though, that does require a lot of different thinking and a different, maybe even a different skill set and capabilities from both media agencies and advertisers, because traditionally it's demo or whatever. There is some requirement on, on your side and the advertiser side to change up how you think and sort of the people that you need to do that, maybe? If, you were, if you're sitting in um, groups that are still very kind of channel-based, but we've seen the evolution across the industry, or at least at publicists here, around hybrid. So thinking about digital and linear TV and out of home and all the channels together. So those planners exist because what you think about when you think about AVOD is a planning solution that is a hybrid between television and digital. Right. So and there's lots of those people in the market now. So I think it's probably an upskilling, yes, but they exist. Okay. Those people, those skill sets, and that thinking does exist in the market today. Okay, Mark Frayne, final thoughts for 2023, watchouts, takeouts, and, and the rest? Yeah, I mean, this discussion started around watchability, uh, kind of the most watchable, engaging platforms will win in 2023. And those that have got the scale to put on top of being the most watchable, engaging platforms, they're the ones that will see the revenue move the fastest. 
you get that combination of watchability and scale, they'll be the winners in 2023. Great. Well, that's a really good conversation. I hope it all lands for my viewing experience too, all of you. So thank you for making my life better. Mark Frayne, Jason Tonelli, Tyler Fitch, great conversation. Uh, stay safe and let's do some viewing for next year. Thank you, Aaron. Great chance. Thanks, guys. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.